I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, guys. So I'm very excited today because I have Janae. Janae prefers to keep herself somewhat anonymous. (laughs) She runs a website and an Instagram account called Prepared Like a Mother. And I started following her probably last year. She used to be an EMT, a medical assistant, and she did caregiving. And she helps you learn how to prepare things like food storage for emergencies. And as you guys know, I'm a casual prepper. I like to cover my ass. Like I want to be prepared in any scenario. So like, I don't do anything crazy. I don't have hordes of food or anything, but I like to be prepared. And I came upon her Instagram and immediately fell in love. So I wanted to have her on to help us all learn a little bit more about like how to actually prepare for emergencies. And by emergencies, I don't mean the zombie apocalypse. I'm not talking about any sort of apocalyptic event. I'm talking about real life shit. Welcome, Janae. Hi. Tell us a little bit about you and and how many kids you have and your life and how'd you get here? All right. So pretty much I'm just a mom. That's all that I've ever wanted to be. I worked as an EMT before I was a mom and that was my favorite job. The other medical jobs, they were just there. They were just something that paid the bills, but mostly I've just always wanted to be a mom. And then I've always just had a mostly unhealthy relationship with natural disasters. I love them. Like catastrophic natural disasters. I'm all about it. During hurricane season, I buy the weather channel so I can watch hurricanes because I love them so much. And my dad always tells the story of when I was super young, like three, four, five years old. And I would wake up at like five o'clock in the morning with him before he got up for work. I've always been kind of a morning person. And I would watch the weather channel while he got ready for work because I just love it. So even as a young child, I've always loved severe weather. And with that love, you see the catastrophic events. You see what it does. You see people hurting and dying and starving and in really bad ways. And then that kind of just in my brain, I was like, Oh, I need to be prepared for that because I don't want to be that person who can't feed my family. And I don't want to be that person who isn't ready and scrambling. 
Yeah. Well, I moved, you know, everybody knows like two years ago, mid pandemic, I moved to the middle of the woods and it really changed my view too, because I'm rural now. And I live in New England, so we have nor'easters. New Englanders, I've come to learn, love severe weather too. Like everybody almost gets high on it. It's like, it's a hurricane coming or a nor'easter or a blizzard. Like we get hit like all seasons, you know? And everybody gets a jolt, I think, from it. So I totally understand that love. But recent, maybe last year, we had a nor'easter come in and it was supposed to be so bad and all the gas sold out. So now you don't have a generator if there's no gas, right? Because my my gen- most generators run on gas. Some run on p- propane. And so it really made me think about food storage. Then, of course, the pandemic and the panic buying. That made me, I was like, wait a minute. Then what happened in Texas when their grid went down? And I was like, shit, you know the Russians are after our grid. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh my God, so funny. Two weeks ago, we lost power. I get up very early at 3.45 in the morning and we lost power. And so I don't, I don't go on Facebook, except I have a dummy account for groups. So I said, well, I'll go to my gym and I'll bring my computer because someone in that Facebook group, there's always a Karen who knows what's happening, exactly what's happening. And, I, and so I start to drive to my gym and everything's out, like the street lights, the restaurant, everything's out for miles. And I'm like, this is it. It's happening. The Russians are <laughs> You know, I mean, there are hackers, there are solar flares. So again, it doesn't have to be like an apocalyptic thing, but yeah, it really made me rethink it and just having, and then I read this, read or heard on a podcast that when any shit hits the fan, be it natural disaster, catastrophic things, even, you know, riots, anything potential like that, any political uprising, anything like that, that the first 72 hours are vital because that's when people act the dumbest. So that's when you really have to, like, if you can hunker down, mind your business and have enough stuff where you don't have to leave your house, you'll be the safest. Was that your experience? So I have never really experienced anything. I mean, I live in the most boring weather state ever. (laughs) So I live in Utah and it's a very boring weather, very conservative, like very family-oriented state. And so we kind of live in, they call it the Utah bubble. So things don't really, I've never experienced anything quite like that, but I've watched it on the news. I've paid attention to it. So I see that it's out there. Are you Mormon? I am. Yeah. Because the Mormons got food storage under control. We do. And that's something, (laughs) it's kind of funny because our leaders, they tell us, like, and they've told for generations, it's like food storage, water storage, be able to be self-reliant, be able to provide for yourself. But now people have heard it so much that I've actually found that the LDS, so it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so it's like the LDS community, they are almost the worst about food storage and emergency preparedness because it's been like shoved into their brain. Like you need this, you need this, you need this for obvious reasons, right? Like it makes sense to have this, but people get overwhelmed by it and they get very, I think overwhelmed is probably the best way to describe mm-hmm. how people feel about it mm-hmm. because it can be a lot and it can cause a lot of anxiety. And then people tend to get, what's it called? Like just super anxious and paralyzed. Oh yeah. Like, paralyzed, like too much, too much to do, too much to take on. Yeah. Like paralyzed. Yep. Yeah. So they can get paralyzed with it. And that's where I kind of start. And that's my whole purpose of my account is I tell myself I'm a practical prepper. I am here to prepare for the practical things that 
are going to happen like the dumpster fire of 2020, like job loss, like an unexpected death or even unexpected death, you know, medical problems, natural disasters, like things that in one way, shape or form, you're going to experience it. And, you know, you need food storage for so much more than just an earthquake or a nor'easter or something like that. It's like food storage comes in handy for a job loss. Food storage comes in handy for, you know, just if you are in the middle of cooking dinner and you're like, crap, I don't have, I don't even know, like barbecue sauce, you know, so go in the food storage, go get your barbecue sauce. You don't have to hurry and run to the store. So there's so many more good reasons to have a food storage than a doomsday. Yeah. And I think food storage should, I think, I don't know, like for me, especially in 2020, food storage walked a fine line of panic, you know? And I I noticed that I noticed that year, like from March to what that, that September, probably when the, the shelves were starting to get bare in the markets, you know, even now some of the shelves haven't. And I noticed, what do they call that? Your lizard brain. Like I noticed I was having a very visceral reaction. Like I need more, you know? And I think that created even more panic. I was able to control mine and not hoard. (laughs) But I think, you know, and I also think like sometimes people think it's hoarding where, like you said, I think it's, you know, having extra of the things you love makes good sense, especially if you don't live very close to a store or, you know, in a city. Now my favorite thing about your account is, and I see you beat this like a freaking dead horse. (laughs) So I know it comes up is Store the foods you use and love because we all, and I was so guilty of this and I changed dramatically after watching your account. (laughs) Like I'll just store beans and rice. Like if I'm hungry enough, I'll eat anything, right? Yes. I went on a tangent. It was like a two week long tangent where I was like, stop it. Like (laughs) stop the nonsense. Because I am very much under the impression, like I said, I'm not a doomsday, I'm not a doomsday prepper. If it comes to zombies, I'm out. I'm not playing with zombies. (laughs) So I'm under the impression that if I can store, and I'm not there yet, so I'm very much working up towards that. But if I can store a year's supply of the foods that I eat on a regular basis, then that gives me a solid year. If I don't have a grocery store, I have a year to figure something else out. Right. And I figure a year gives you a pretty good time to figure out a plan B, you know, whether that's building your own garden or finding farmers or working with your community. Right. So I'm very much like, look, store the food you like to eat. Long-term food storage is great. Rice, beans, wheat, all of that is great, but make that a part of your everyday thing. So if you have buckets of rice, Make sure you're working through those buckets of rice instead of just having them in the corner collecting dust, hoping you never have to eat them. It's like, no, don't do that. Like, just eat what you normally have, like prep what you normally have and use it up. Like I'm constantly rotating through it because, you know, a lot of the food I buy doesn't last a year. Right. right, And so if I'm constantly, you know, if I use one, then I buy another one to put behind it. And then I just rotate through it. And so nothing goes to waste. Cause that's the biggest thing I hear is when I get trolled, it's always either you're hoarding and you're selfish for being a hoarder mm-hmm. or you're never going to eat that food. I was like, that's why I buy the food I am going to eat because it doesn't matter if we have an earthquake or it doesn't matter if 
grocery stores are shelves are empty. I'm going to eat it regardless. Right. And like so you said, I'm a lot of much... times like you're, you're in the middle of making dinner and you need that thing, you know, salt. If you know, you have to run to the market. It's not always convenient, you know? Yes, exactly. So here in Utah, we're actually very blessed because people are very big on food storage. And a lot of people will have like a room just designated, just a small, almost closet right. that's just for food storage or just for storage. And so, you know, I just go downstairs and it's either in my freezer or it's in my kind of pantry supply that I have downstairs. And I never, I mean, I shouldn't say never because I run to the store more often than not, but I don't have to run to the store. I can, there, you can always make something work if I have to, but sometimes I'm just lazy and run to the store anyways. Oh yeah. We're spoiled, but yeah, yeah ex- exactly. And we have, I have a freezer full of food and I, I, I want to be LT today. So I'm going to go get like whatever. Ex- exactly. That's exactly what it is. And they built a Walmart just like three blocks away from us. So it's all too easy to just swing by Walmart on your way home and pick up whatever for dinner instead of, you know, let's see what we yeah. have already. Well, and I think too, you know, it, it makes sense too, not just with prepared foods, but I think for a lot of people, at least, I don't know, for me, I'm really diving into homesteading and I'm really looking at like, you know, even natural disasters aside, we used to have to survive winter. So I live in New England. We have root cellars. We have down cellar. You go down cellar and that's where you keep your canning, your garlic, your potatoes, your turnips, you know, everything like that. And so you know, now we're so concerned about the environment and yet people are saying you're hoarding when like, no, we used to have to survive winter because there was no food. Like we had to store whatever we harvested late fall. That's it. Shut down before the the snow comes. Well, I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is this has always been a way of life. You know, the way people live now is not normal. You know, this is a fairly new thing of just hurrying and running to the store. Right. Whereas like you said, you know, our grandparents and our great grandparents, like you grow that food, you store that food until you can grow more food. And that was normal. Yeah. And yeah. It's now it's considered weird. It's like, why is that so weird to people? But, well, I think too, when people think about food storage, I think too, when you say prep, like all of a sudden you bring up like, the bunker, you know, like anything, you get the extreme version of it, you know, the whack job with the tinfoil hat. And I think also people bring up like, remember the extreme couponing? When, remember when that was like a huge thing and people had like houses full of shit? You were like, dude, come on. I know you got it for free, but like, do you have to have all that stuff? So I think like it's that perception of it too, which is why I wanted to have you on because I, I was like, you know, food storage makes sense without going over to the wacky side. It doesn't have to be that like it's going to be apocalyptic or whatever. It it can be just for natural disasters or whatever, you know, winter. And for yeah. me, I started canning and I freaking love it because it's fast food. Like if you're struggling with dinners, learn how to can because my son harvested and also we're hunters. So he harvested a big buck. We were leaving for Nashville for Christmas. I gave myself three days to like pack and get organized. And of course he harvests a buck like, <laughs> on the first day. So I have to process all, over a hundred pounds of meat. So I can meet and you can raw pack it. I'm just butchering this animal, raw packing it. And now I have venison that comes out like beef stew. I dry can potatoes. 
I have carrots canned. So on a busy day, I come home and I have dinner ready in three minutes because I have all this food. It's like the ultimate old fashioned fast food. Exactly. And it's actually kind of funny because you're actually better than I am in that aspect because I don't can. I have never canned and I don't know how to can. I have a lot of homesteaders who are like, yeah, you need to can. And I'm like, yeah, but listen, I have three young kids and we run from sun up to sundown. I do not have time to can. And so I have my mom's canner actually downstairs. It's been collecting dust downstairs. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. But then I'm like, maybe I'll try it next week because I am intimidated by it. And so I'm kind of like that. And that's kind of where I try to go with my account is yes, canning is great. And it is like, I'm learning more and more because I kind of am a head case when it comes to canning. I'm just like, yeah, that looks gross. Like if you look at a jar of canned meat, it's like, yeah, that's nasty. Like I'm not eating that. It's not always aesthetically pleasing. (laughs) Exactly. And so I'm just a head case with food in general. And so that's where I'm like, okay, I'm trying to get over my own stress and anxieties of that. And I think that's the beauty of prepping and food storage is because you can do it however you want. And that's what I try and preach all the time. Like if you want to can go for it. That's awesome. That's probably the best way to preserve food because you know what you're putting in your food. Whereas if you just buy it off the shelf, you don't know what you're actually eating. But if you're not ready to can and you're not in a stage of life where you can put away a winter's worth of food, then don't just buy an extra jar of spaghetti sauce at the store. Just buy an extra can of beans. Just do something. Do what makes sense for you. But don't just do it because somebody says you have to do it. Right. So I'm going to start you on canning 101. So you can do, okay. So I made my own for my son brownie mix, right? But you can even use like box mix, mix it, put it into jars, fill it a quarter of the way, bake it till it's cooked and then take hot lids, put it on. It'll pop. It'll seal right away. And it's good for a year. Now you have dessert, single brownies or cake for a year. All right. I'm going to have to try that and see if I'm brave enough to actually eat it afterwards. I think that's my problem with canning is that I'm just like, yeah, but that I did it myself and nobody is regulating (laughs) how well I did that myself. And a year later, like, yeah, I'm not eating that. (laughs) Well, I don't anticipate the brownies or the cake lasting longer than (laughs) lasting longer than a few weeks for me. My son now is a teenager, so he's out of the house a lot. I want him to avoid seed oils and packaged food. So I try to bake at home. I can use less sugar, no seed oils, but I don't, it'll go bad. And I only have so much room in my freezer. I only buy locally and seasonally for meat. And so I buy like a half a cow and a half a pig. So I have a 600 square foot house with three freezers. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I canned because it makes it shelf stable. Yeah. But the brownies and the cake, I just learned how to do, but I think canning too, is just, it's a learning curve and there is a time commitment, you know? And so once you learn how to do it too, it goes faster, of course. So that's what a lot of people have been telling me is like, look, it's not as hard and as stressful and as bad as you think it is. Like you just have to actually take the plunge and do it. I mean, people get that way with emergency preparedness too, where it's like, there's so much you have to think about. You have to think about 
power outages, keeping warm and food and water and all of these things. And if you think about it all at the same time, you're like, it's analysis paralysis, where it's like, I can't handle this. I can't do it. So I'm not going to do it at all, or I'll do it tomorrow when I can make sense of it. And that's what they keep saying about canning is like, you just baby steps, just this month or this year, just can peaches. Peaches are super easy. Can peaches. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I will can peaches. And then I got peaches from my mother-in-law. Her friend had a peach tree and she gave me all these peaches, but we rode our bikes over to my in-laws house and I put the peaches in the little stroller, whatever it is that goes behind the bike, the bike carrier that my toddler was in. And she demolished two bags of peaches and I couldn't salvage any of them. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, maybe I won't can peaches, but you told everybody, see, God doesn't want me canning peaches. (laughs) Exactly. See, you understand. It was a sign. (laughs) (laughs) Some of it too, like I feel like fruits and vegetables, there's more leeway. Like with the canning meat, like I sit there, I just got a digital canner. They just started making them. So that'll relieve a lot, but you have to watch the PSI and I'm not messing around with me. You know what I mean? So there is, there is a time commitment, but again, you know, once you learn the process, it goes a little bit faster, but Janae, tell us something. So what would you consider? Like, I probably hear two objections. One is I can't afford it. Like I can't afford to buy any extra right now. And then what would you, like you said, I hear a lot of people, I don't even know where to start. So let's talk like, like, how about maybe a 72 hour? What would you need? Like what's your bare bones, natural disaster preparedness? So I had a friend who he used to work on several FEMA operations during the more Oklahoma tornado. He was helping the recovery for there when there was a nor'easter. I think it was Sandy in a few years ago. Actually, it's been longer than a few years ago. um, Yeah. Yeah. He went and helped with that. Something that he said that has always stuck with me is a backpack with a flashlight, a water bottle, and a granola bar is better than nothing at all. Okay. So basically it's like, okay, what do I need? What do I have around my house right now that I can just throw in a backpack that's ready for me to just grab and go? So it doesn't have to be this big, huge, long, extravagant list and hundreds of dollars of stuff that you need to go buy at the store. It can just be like, you have mostly everything you need to survive in your house. Most people have flashlights. You know, if they don't have a flashlight, then they have a phone with a flashlight on it. And most people have something, a portable battery charger to charge their phone. So then you have a flashlight, buy a couple water bottles. You might even have just water bottles lying around your house and granola bars. You always have snack foods or something laying around your house throw it all in a bag. And then you're like, okay, at least if something happens, I have bare minimum 24 hours before I need to start scrounging for food. Yeah. Um, That makes sense. And then build off of that. So a lot of times, you know, if you go on vacation, do you go out and buy new clothes and makeup and deodorant and all these things? Like, no, just throw what I have in the bathroom in a bag and let's go. Right. So That's kind of the way to think about preparedness, because if you really think about it, if you're using your 72 hour kits or natural disaster, whatever happens, you're basically just going on a miserable vacation. 
you know, you're not going to have your house. You're not going to have whatever. So you have to adapt. And most people have the ability to adapt in their own house. They can just throw it all in the back. And we usually have time too. I mean, in any of the more recent things that we've seen, people have a bit of a heads up because of technology. I know we have time in New England to tape windows for her. We know it's coming. In fact, oftentimes the media makes it a bigger deal than it is. So we have time. We know the blizzard's coming. So it's not like you're in a situation where you would literally be like, oh my God, the house is flooding. Now we need to get out. You know what I mean? Because I feel like in most instances, we have a warning. Where it's interesting in different parts of the world, especially like, well, in the world, but I know mostly the United States because that's where I pay attention to, is over on the East Coast, you see your natural disasters coming, but on the West Coast, you don't always because our biggest threat is an earthquake and there is no warning system for an earthquake. You have to prep for it long before it ever happens. That's true. I lived in San Francisco for 20 years. You'd think I'd know that. And that's our biggest thing. And I think that's where a lot of people in Utah, and actually I had Arizona when I said something about Utah being the most boring weather state. They're like, no, you haven't ever been to Arizona. And I was like, yeah, but Arizona gets really big monsoons and Utah doesn't really get monsoons either. But in Utah, where we don't see a lot of severe weather, we don't see a lot of power outages. We don't see a lot of those things. People are just like, oh, it's never going to happen. And then the thing that most people I don't think realize is that Utah, basically three fourths of the state sits along the Wasatch Fault. So if we get that hundred year earthquake that scientists are saying that we're overdue for, it's going to take out most of the state and it's going to take out water. It's going to take out infrastructure. It's going to take out power. And people don't realize that it's going to take longer than three days before things will get back to normal. Because in a big statewide thing, even if FEMA comes and American Red Cross comes, they're going to go to the hardest hit areas. And the outlying areas are going to be weeks, if at all, seeing help. You have to be able to help yourself. And we're overdue. Like Yellowstone's supposed to blow. There's a couple that like regularly there's some cataclysmic events and like, we're kind of overdue for all of them. Yes. <laughs> so and you, those are all on the West coast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Do you recommend having like even setting up like a backpack, like a, almost like a bug out bag, like have it already packed in somewhere where it's easy to access. My thing where I tell people to start is first and foremost, start with a food storage because a food storage is going to come in handy, not just for a natural disaster, But for, like we talked about, the job loss, the unexpected death, the economic problems, food storage is going to come in handy a lot more often than a 72-hour kit is. But, you know, you may never use your 72-hour kit, but it's one of those things that you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Right. And so I have a 72-hour kit for everybody in my family, including my dog. Okay. Oh, that's right. Pets. Yeah. Yep. Pets are a big one that people don't think of. And livestock. A lot of people who have like a homestead or a farm, it's like you have to prep for your livestock too. Right. So yeah, I have- personal hygiene, period. Right? Women for your period? Yep. Exactly. Yep. You need that. And that's where people get paralyzed by it because it's like, crap, I didn't think about my dog. I didn't think about (laughs) my pet. I didn't think about 
feminine hygiene. I didn't think about all of that. And it's like, and that comes, you know, at least start with just a day, you know, just start with what can get me to 24 hours. And then after you have 24 hours of stuff, then work on 48 hours, then work on a week and slowly build it up from there. Yeah. And I think with food, it's easier too, because you can, you can pick up an extra or if something's on sale, you go, oh, okay, I can get two or three of those. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And that's the thing with food storage and people is like, I can't afford food storage. I can't afford that. And I mean, right now I get it. It is expensive right now to try and just buy day-to-day groceries, but it's like, okay, buy the extra can of soup because that right there is a meal. Right. You know, so if you buy an extra can of soup for you this time and maybe an extra can for your family member, you know, take $5 out of your budget a month or a week or, you know, however often you shop and buy something that you can just put away for now. It doesn't have to be spend $100 on freeze dried foods right now. It's like, no, just buy the extra can of soup, buy the extra loaf of bread to throw it in the in your freezer buy right and the extra... soup. like some canned goods last like they're good till like for four years or so so yeah yeah yep and expiration dates can be a heated topic amongst a lot of people because it's like yeah it can probably last a lot longer than the expiration date on there but I'm a big proponent of because like I said I'm kind of a head case when it comes to food and so if it has an expiration date I write it boldly on there and then I say okay, I'm going to use this, you know, within the expiration date or shortly after. And it's easy to see a can of enchilada sauce and be like, oh, this expires next month or this expired last month. So let's have enchiladas for dinner tonight. And that's kind of what I'm I'm going to tell you this. Don't come to my house to eat because you and I are polar opposites. I'm like, smell it. It's good. I am not that way. I am definitely, I am more of a germaphobe than that because I'm like, I have had food poisoning and I don't want to play with food poisoning. (laughs) So (laughs) it's so funny. Okay. And so that's great. And that addresses the, like, I can't afford it. Okay. I belong to this off-grid community on Facebook because, well, everybody, you, you guys, I made a big deal about going off of Facebook, but I have a dummy account where I just belong to a couple of groups. And now Um, you just outed yourself. I did out myself. (laughs) I don't obsessively scroll. So that's the good thing. This off-grid community, and granted, there's quite a few people who are whack jobs in it, but I'll never forget this post. And it said, hey, if you don't know what you need, shut off your power. Shut off your power and your water for 24 hours, and you will now know what you need. And I thought that was a really good thing because I feel like we have gotten so reliant on technology, so reliant on, like I said, even with the, um, when my power went out that day, my solution was to bring my computer to another place. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so we've gotten like this really intense dependency where I think we don't even realize what would it look like even 24 hours without water? What are you going to do? And so I think that's a really good example of like, yeah, if the power goes out, you don't have a generator. It's some sort of clusterfuck where you can't really leave your house. What are you going to do? You know? So. Yep, exactly. And that's what I've actually heard. And I want to just try that, but I haven't been brave enough to actually turn off my water and my power, but we go camping quite a bit. And so it kind of gives you that where it's like, okay, you have one battery on your trailer or RV. I don't know. I call it a trailer, but I decided that most people don't know what a trailer is. People are like a trailer. What is a trailer? So an RV, but you know, we have a small battery for our RV. 
we have only so much water that lasts us the three days or however long we're camping for. And it really does make you think like, okay, what do I really need? And so turning off your power and turning off your water, even for like three or four hours can be very eye-opening too. Oh my gosh, like I didn't even think about this. Yeah, I had done a little snippet about, I think that same podcast that I had mentioned before or book or wherever I read it was you also, if you lose electricity, immediately charge your phone because the cell towers often will last a lot longer than the electricity. They're not necessarily linked. And so you have a little more time if you can charge your phone. So yep. like, that's the very first thing you do if that. <laughs> yep, it's charge um, your phone. Or to get on, if you lose power and you can't charge your phone, get in touch. Like if you have a plan, like for me, my mom, my mom lives 15 miles away. She's medically fragile. Don't go on Facebook trying to figure out what's going on. Go and make contact with whoever you need to make contact with. Yep. And a lot of, a lot of things that people don't realize too with cell phones is if you have like an out of state contact, because a lot of people start panicking. And so they're on their phones and they're making calls that it jams the signals. And so have you ever been in like a baseball stadium or a big event, a concert, and your phone is slower and bogged down? It's because you have however many people in one area trying to use their phone and trying to get in contact. And so everything gets jammed. But it can be a lot easier if you have an out-of-state contact. So for us in Utah, knowing that if an earthquake ever does happen, that we're pretty much we're going to be in a bad way if it's as bad as they say it's going to be. So I have set up something with every one of my family members. We know that we contact this one family in Vegas. So my husband's family all know to contact his uncle who lives in Las Vegas. Because if everybody contacts him, he can keep track of everybody because phones will not be as jammed trying to contact everybody. Right. So having an out-of-state contact that's further away from the disaster, your calls can get through a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. I think it's also nice, again, kind of erring on the whack job side myself. Last winter, I hit a flash freeze coming home. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it was terrifying. And looking ahead on the road, literally, I thought I was in a sci-fi movie and I thought it was aliens because cars were flying off the road. It looked like they were being plucked. And call me crazy. I don't know. Like, we really don't know what's happening. (laughs) So I was like, this is it. The aliens are taking people. What the (laughs) hell? And then my car started to go. And so basically a flash freezes, everything freezes. And you have no traction. It was a disaster. It was awful. It took me four hours to drive two miles. But I always say, I forget why I brought that up though. Oh, I think it's helpful with out-of-state people because you can also, like, even in an earthquake, you know, knowing like what happened in 9-11, did we just get bombed? Was it an earthquake? Like, I think it's helpful to know if it's localized, you know, like even that day I lost power, like call somebody 20 miles away. Oh no, we have power. Okay. The whole grid's not down. It's me. Now I can just relax and go about my life without power for a couple of hours. You know what I mean? I think that's helpful too, to know like, Because again, I think in these instances, we get concerned about like, is it just me? Is it everybody? Is something happening? Because I'll I'll never forget 9-11. And it was like, is this happening all over? Are they bombing other places? And this is just what we're seeing. Like, it was such a weird unfolding of events, you know? It's true. When you don't know what you're dealing with, it's, you know, your brain automatically goes to, all right, this is the end. Like, here here we go. Whereas it's like, 
no, look, like the power's just out on your street. Somebody got on a car accident and the power's just out. It's like, oh, okay, no big deal. They'll get it back up and running. Whereas it's like, oh no, the whole state is out of power or the whole nation is out of power. Right. We're in big trouble. But as a human, our brains automatically go to the power's out. The end is near. We're all done for. Whereas like, no, it might just be somebody hit a power line. It'll be up and running in just a minute. Also, maybe Jamie don't watch every dystopian television show. Like my son and I literally watch end of the world disasters. That's like our favorite genre. We're like end of the world apocalypse movies. And I also, life is just a game to me. So I'm like, yeah, bump it up level 10. I've been training for this. I'm going to win. So I actually get like, I'm going to be so great in a disaster. Yeah. My husband, it's kind of funny because I'm the preparedness one. I'm the one who gets the 72 hour kits ready. I'm the one who makes sure we have food storage. I'm the one who runs an emergency preparedness Instagram account. And my husband just reaps the benefit. But if it comes to zombies, he's all about it. He's like, yes, let's go. Let's do this thing. And I'm like, no, listen, like I did not prep food storage for zombies. I prepped food storage for job loss. And zombies are not a part of the plan. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Janae. This has been great. So, I mean, like just to sum up, you don't have to go crazy. Start small. If you really don't know what you need, turn off your water and your power for a few hours and that'll give you a good hit. Yeah. And then if you can't afford it, just whatever you can. When something's on sale, it's like everything you have would be another meal in times of natural disaster, job loss whatever, financial ruin for whatever reason. And yeah, so please guys go to Janae. Um, Where can we find you again, Janae? Instagram at prepared like a mother or on my website, which is just prepared like a mother.com. I do have a YouTube link, but YouTube was a lot bigger beast than I thought it was going to be. And so I haven't posted on there, but there's a few things on there right now. I just don't do it regularly because it's a different world on YouTube. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> and I imagine there's a different world as well as being a practical prepper, right? I yes. A casual prepper. <laughs> yep. I, and I like that. I was like, casual prepper, practical prepper, it's all kind of the same thing where it's like, do what makes sense for you. And a lot of things that people don't realize is what makes sense for me may not make sense for you. Right. So do what's going to make you most comfortable. You're going to be the one that's in charge of your own destiny if there's an earthquake or if there's a hurricane or if there's a nor'easter. You're in charge of yourself. So do what makes sense to you. Whereas, you know, I, I get kind of irritated with lists and it's like, okay, you need all of this in your 72 hour kit. Because a good example is you need matches and flint and still in your 72 hour kit. I'm like, okay, I live in the city. There's nowhere that you can find wood. There's nothing that you can really burn. Why do I need to have matches and flint and still and waterproof matches and all of this when I'm like, what would I use it for? So if you've never used flint and steel, you're going to go hungry before you light a fire because that shit's a learning curve. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you have to do what makes sense for you, what makes sense for your family, what makes sense for the area that you live in. Right. And preparedness isn't something like a one size fits all. It's a, you're on your own. Like you have to do what makes sense for you. Yeah. And I think it's wise to, you know, my son's taking a financial course with Dave Ramsey right now and he loves it, but Dave Ramsey makes up some like really great points about if you have a car, you are going to have an accident. 
either someone's going to hit you or you will hit someone else. It is almost always going to happen. If it doesn't, something still is going to go wrong. You will have to pay for car maintenance at yeah. some point in time. And so I feel like that, like the odds are something is going to go wrong, whether it's a weather event, whether it's a nature event, you know, like a solar flare, whether it's a job loss, financial loss, something's going to happen where you're going to need some backup. Exactly. And so be prepared for that. And so that way you're like, okay, I've got this instead of scrambling, you know, instead of being the panic buyer of March of 2020, when you couldn't find toilet paper, it's like, okay, I have toilet paper downstairs. I don't have a year's supply of toilet paper, but yeah. I have enough toilet paper that I don't have to go to 15 stores to try and find toilet paper. I can just watch my local store. And if I happen to come across it, then I'll buy a pack. You know, it doesn't have to be a panic going to as many stores as you can trying to find toilet paper. It's like, no, I just have enough to get me. Yeah, that's such a valid point too. Cause for me, I think the scariest thing about that panic buying with the pandemic is I didn't recognize my own brain. I noticed it when I went into a store, I was like, holy shit, I want to buy everything. I want to hoard and I'm not a hoarder. And I was like, it activated this part of my brain that was beyond my control. I mean, I could like, I could control it in the moment, but I was like, where is this coming from? This isn't who I am as a human. And so in the case of a disaster, I think it makes so much more sense to be able to take a breath and say, we've got the necessities. And then you can actually problem solve for the next step. Because if you're just like in lizard brain, I need food. Like I need water. You can't even plan like, where are we going? Who do we need to, you know, who do we need to contact? How can we be helpful? How can we get out of the way? Those kinds of things that are also so imperative. Yep, exactly. And it's, it's often said that society is three meals away from anarchy. And it's true. People will start to panic and people will go to extreme measures to get what they need. You know, and that's kind of what makes running an account like I run because it leaves you with a target on your back because it's like, oh, I know that she has medication. I know that she has food, you know? And so I have a contingency plan where I'm like, okay, too many people know where I live that I'm like, that is not where I will be. (laughs) I will not be here. You know, if it's an earthquake or if it's something that's a short term thing, then you know where to find me. Right. But if we're dealing with zombies, then you will not know where to find me. And we probably will not be alive. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't care for the walking dead. I'm with you. I'm going to take, if it's zombies, I'm taking myself out. If it's nuclear, I'm diving into the light. I'm not, I'm not staying underground in a bunker for any length of time, but yeah, not interested. I can ride out a month. Ah, that's what I'm interested in. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And that's the way that I plan. And that's the way that I prep and it works for all the situations. You know, it works for the economic, it works for the natural disasters, it works for the personal disasters. Yeah. It just works. And to me, it makes sense. And that's yeah. what I'm all about is making preparedness make sense because it used to be normal, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, it used to be normal and now you're a whack job if you talk about it. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm trying to mix old time, you know, yeah. several years, decades ago and tinfoil hats and trying to meet that middle ground of where most people lie of like, look, I can see needing this. I just don't know how to get there. Yeah. 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 Where I, I think the world, the whole world, I think every area is marrying old school with the tinfoil hats, like in every single. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yep. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Okay. Bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.